Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi everyone. Exceptionally, today we have two episodes. Like I said in the one with the soaps, I wanted to do a little summary of this first season. I actually called that season one in a nutshell. Well, it would not technically be in a nutshell because I talk way too much since all my episodes are more than one hour long. This would be long, so not technically in a nutshell. But I like this word and the expression, you know, in a nutshell, like how it sounds. So I decided to call it that way. And since it's my podcast, I do whatever I want. First, I just want to say, when they did this season, they thought it could be the only one. And I think it's a good one. Like, I think it's a really good season. If the show had ended there, it would have been good because... So it started in April 1912 and it ended in August 1914. And we know that the First World War changed everything. And so I think if it would have been the end, it, was, it would have been a good end. I know if you understand what I mean, but you know, just before the war, before everything would have changed for the aristocracy and but for the world. <laughs> like the war means a lot of destruction and death and yeah. And what I love in downtown is the link there is to historical events and, sa- and that link helps you to know where it takes place. This is in the, through the whole show, but I love that because it feels accurate. So because we still know it's, it's still a drama, it's fiction. So, you know, it's accurate, but it's still, you know, some changes because it's fiction. But I like it to have a link to historical events because it really feels accurate. And it's really about the life of upstairs and downstairs. We talked about every character. And I realized it because I talked too much for each episode because so many things happened. Why did they have characters that have more story than others? But we talked about everyone. And I think this is great. So now we're just going to start to talk about downstairs. And let's start with Carson. He's the butler. And so we had the historian of the cheerful Charlies in the second episode. And I love the storyline. You know, you see the character. He's really strict. He loves when everything is proper. But with this storyline of the cheerful Charlies, you saw a softer side of him. Like he had a life before Downton. He has a heart too. And you see that like when he talks with Mrs. Papmore, even when he's with Bates, when she learned to know him a bit better, when he's with Mrs. Hughes, and especially when he's with Mary. He loves the family, especially Mary. And I like it because then you will realize every character is not just, they have layers. No, it's just not just, he's the butler, he's strict, that's it. No. And that is what is so good, this show. Carson, I really like it. Season one, I really do, because sometimes in the following season, not so much, but I really, really like Carson. And Cheerful Charlie is one of my favorite storylines. And Mrs. Hughes, again, she's similar to Carson because she appears to be very strict. But again, she has a past, you know, because we saw an old fiancé coming in, but then she said no, so she is still the housekeeper of the house. But she's a kind woman. And that is for sure. Like sometimes I even feel she's kinder than Carson, but she knows more than Carson. But I think maybe not in season one, but as a whole, she knows way more about what's happening in the, in the house than Carson. She's very clever and she sees things and she understands it really quickly. Like I said, with Branson, she sensed and noticed that he really liked Sybil. Like we said, Carson's daddy of downstairs and mistress, she's the mommy. And she knows way more than Carson. 
But you can see that, yes, the family and the servants, they all will be lost without her. You know, she went out for one night and they all fell into pieces. And again, yeah, she knows the people she works with. And so that's an advantage for her. And I love Mrs. Hughes. I think I love Mrs. Hughes even more than I love Carson. I really, really, really love Mrs. Hughes. And I do believe that without her, the house, it would, like they said, fall into pieces. Now we have Mrs. Padmore. And Mrs. Padmore, she's a bit bad tempered at times, but she's a cook. And again, it, that's how they were. Because, I mean, you have to cook all day long with all the fumes and vapors. And I mean, that must be very, very tiring. But she does have one of the funniest lines of the show. So she has a funny side, but she also has a softer side. She's not a bad person. And even if she blamed Daisy a lot, that was because she was frightened, because she was going blind. She tried to open Daisy's eyes about Thomas. She really tried. And I think she really does care for Daisy. And well, she's an excellent cook. I mean, wh whenever they want, I'm invited to try this food. I really want to. It looks delicious. Well, maybe not the salty raspberry meringue. And I don't even like raspberry, but, you know, and maybe not the chicken that was a bit eaten by the cat. But except for that, I mean, I'm, I'm in for trying her cook. And when, well, she had cataracts, but now she is better thanks to his lordship. So she's valued by them. And even if she's a bit bad tempered, they like her because she is very good at what she does. And I really, really love Mrs. Patmore. Maybe I, the first time I watched the show, I didn't like her as much as I liked Mrs. Hughes. But now that I've seen it multiple times, I adore her. Well, O'Brien, we need to talk about someone I don't like. O'Brien, she is evil. One day I was talking about it with my friend. I said, she, she's like the umbrage of Downton. Because I don't like her. But I think I like not liking her. You know what I mean? Like, because if she wasn't there, something was missing. Like, you need to have some really bad <laughs> characters. And, well, she's nasty, truly. And she's very clever. She loves to plot, plotting, you know, making troubles. This is what she was born for. And she's not very grateful about uh, her job because she is the lady's maid of a countess. This is a great place. And I hate her for the way she treats Cora because Cora, she's one of the nicest human beings in the world, okay? And the way she talks behind her back, I hate it. But then a part of me thinks that maybe she has a thing against Cora because Cora is American, because she's been with her for 10 years now. So, you know, she must have realized that not everything she does is technically proper to the role of countess as it is supposed to be if she was English. I don't know if you understand what I mean. You know, maybe just the fact that she let her husband sleep in her room, in her bed every night for it maybe even too much. So I think that maybe it's because I read too many fan fiction, but I think maybe it's a part of why she doesn't like her. Maybe because she's just too nice, you know, and she just don't like nice people. And again, like she likes plotting because first thing, <laughs> this is the first, but she wants to get rid of Bates. This is the thing that she wanted to do. She didn't manage to do it. And well, no one likes her, really. And this is the thing is that she doesn't like anybody, but no one likes her. And it's her own fault, you know. And well, she killed Kwa's unborn child, so don't like her but i love the fact that we saw another side of her when she changed her mind well too late but she changed it because again for that you can't totally just hate her because there are characters of downton abbey that i hate 
but she's not one of them. And even when, you know, she hears Cora and Violet talking about the answer to um, the advertisement, her face, you see that she's hurt because she really thinks like she's going to dismiss me. But like I said, she doesn't know Cora because Cora would never have done that. So yeah, that's her own fault. And Thomas, he's O'Brien's ally. But like I said, they are allies, not friends. He's a gay man, and at this time, well, it's difficult. You could go to jail. So really quickly on, you have something to realize that you can't really hate him because you feel sorry a bit for him. But, you know, being who he is doesn't give him an excuse to be mean and cruel. And so, yeah, I, I'm not ready now to forgive him what he said to William. Like, he was so mean to him. I mean, I can't. And again, no one likes him, but it is his own fault because he doesn't like anybody. And, you know, he, it's like O'Brien. They are mean and nasty all the time. So why people would like them? But he's clever too. Not as clever as O'Brien. But he's clever too, you know, because, for, okay, there's a war coming. They want to get rid of me. I don't want to go on the front. I don't want to die during battle. So let's just try and be into the medical corps. What he doesn't know is that while well, the medical corp goes into battle too, like they go on the field, he will discover that soon enough. And then Bates. Bates, I think, is a very interesting character. Like I said, making him lame was very, very clever because he's friends with Robert. And this is probably one of my favorite friendship or relationship between the men because, like I said, Robert, we know Bates is his valet, but he treats him like his friend. And I love it because they say things to each other that they wouldn't say to someone else. And Robert, he did everything he could to keep him and he succeeded. Bates is also really interesting because he has been through a war already where he, he felt the consequences because he's limpid because of that. First, there's not a lot that wanted him to stay, but he earned the respect of everybody except Thomas and O'Brien. Who cares about the respect of Thomas and O'Brien? And he fell in love with Anna. Um, but he thinks he's not good enough for her, not just because of his limp, but because he was drunk, he went to prison for theft, so he thinks that she deserves better. But Anna, she's the sweetest, and she's in love with him, so she doesn't care about all that. And, well, she fell in love with him right in the start. We saw it. And she's a good friend to most of the servants, except, well, Thomas and O'Brien. But... <laughs> and she's a very, very, very good friend to Lady Mary. I mean, she helped her move a body. So if that is not friendship, I don't know what it is. Everyone trusts her, even upstairs, you know, because they ask her to go to London with Mrs. Patmore because they trust her and because she is nice and she's sweet and everybody likes her. And I like her. I mean, Anna, yes, she's one of the sweetest, definitely. And when you see everything is going to happen to her, bananas, but oh my God. But yeah, we do love Anna. And well, William, William, he loves Daisy <laughs> and he's still young. So I like it because you see that because sometimes it's still right. Mr. Carson, I think about him would have preferred to stay at his parents' farm. But since his mother wanted him to be in service, he went when they poor him, his mother died. But since he's nice and he does a great job, he has respect from the family too, because when we had Mary, she was worried about him, about his mother. And when they came back from London, they even says, you know, William, he has a sympathies. And so, yeah, I think, like I said, if you're kind, 
and nice and polite, well, people are going to be nice to you. I mean, did I just quote Paddington? Maybe I did. <laughs> but yeah, you, you get the picture. And, you know, William, he was bullied by Thomas. And at the end, he just, he had enough. And he punched him. And this was very satisfying. So I think he grew up with that. Like at that one say, okay, I'm done with Thomas. And well, we said that William is in love with Daisy. And Daisy, well, she was in love with Thomas. She's the youngest of the people from downstairs and even in the whole house. She's also the lowest person of the ladder. She's very, very young and naive, but she's nice and helpful. And she's loyal to Mrs. Patmore. Like you can see that she wants to do her best. And she, she's ready to work hard, you know, and ready to learn from Mrs. Patmore. I think she's really sweet character. And again, she's really young. And I think you realize that really quickly. And thank God, in the end, she understood that Thomas was not a man for her. Well, she still doesn't know that he's gay. I think not. But at least she realized that he's mean. He's mean. He's not nice. So stop being fond of him. And Gwen, I mean, her journey during this season is just, I mean, it's amazing. She wanted to be a secretary and she like, yeah, she did everything herself at the beginning. Like she took courses, she bought a typewriter and then she got help from Lady Sibyl. And thanks to her, she got a job as a secretary. And so this is great because of course, she would never have done it without Lady Sybil. But Sybil, she just had to find opportunities. Because if she had the job, it's because it was her, because she was good. And I like it because not because Sybil said, oh, you need to hire her. No, it's really because, you know, I found you this opportunity, but it's down to you now. And it's because Gwen could do it that she got the job. And I really, really love it. And again, Anna was so sweet because Anna, she was really supportive. And I think that was great too. Because like we said, Anna is a great friend. And we have Branson. So he arrived episode four. Very interesting character. He's a socialist, not a revolutionary and not a lunatic. But we sensed since he arrived that he liked Sybil. Because well, she went political and she's different. Because what he hates, it's the classes, you know, the oppression of one social class by the other. That's why he hates. And so technically she is part of the aristocrats, but she's not like the rest of them. She's different. She thinks different. She wants another life. So obviously he likes her. And we can see that he really, really likes her. And you like the scene when she has her new frog, then the end of episode uh, seven, when they are holding hands. So yeah, he, if he's not already in love with her, he's falling in love with her. And so he is playing a dangerous game. I don't know if I like Branson or not. Season one, I kind of like him. Season two, it's a different situation. But I think it's a very interesting character to have put in it, you know, with the whole history with the island. I think it was really interesting. And then we have Mosley. I love Mosley, so I had to talk about him uh, because we do not see him a lot. But I really like him because he's loyal and nice. But he's not very lucky. But I really love him because you cannot not like him. He's just a man that tries to do his best. And first, he has to take care of a man that doesn't give a damn about him. Like, I mean, I'm really, I felt for Mosley with Matthew at the beginning. 
but then you know everything went fine and I really 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 love Mosley. And about upstairs. So let's start with Matthew, the new heir who arrived from Manchester and he didn't want it to be this heir. He didn't want it to be here. But in the end, he changed his mind. He realized that he really liked to be at Downton and that he wants Downton to be part of his future. To be honest, in the beginning, Matthew, he... I'm not saying that I didn't like him, but sometimes you know, with the whole, I will not be changed and on and on and off. Um, there was a moment I was like, come on, we, we got the memo, we understood, but just, yeah, just stop. But then he's in love with Mary. And well, <laughs> I think being in love with Mary is definitely... Just that, it's an adventure. And then he adjusted to this way of life. So you can really see him. Okay, he's going to be a great successor to Robert. Like he's really adjusting. He has new ideas, more modern. And so I think, yeah, it would be great. And again, he's in love with Mary. Anyway, if you're in love with Mary, nothing is simple when it, when it concerns Lady Mary. So well, sorry for him. But like I said, he's a bit clumsy, but he wants, he means well. And so I do not adore him, but I like him. But at the beginning, really, he got on my nerves. Like, I was like, please stop. But I mean, his eyes, whoa, you know, just his eyes, so mesmerizing. Isabel, I like Isabel. I like Isabel because she is here to challenge Violet, and I like this fight. Um, I think she's a very interesting character because she is from the upper middle class, but she has a lot of knowledge. She was a nurse. She knows a lot about medicine. She's not stupid. She's very smart, very clever, very wise. She got a place on the board of the hospital, you know. Violet was not very pleased about that, but yeah, I, I really like her. And I mean, she loves to argue with Violet, but I love it. So I'm all for that. And I really, really like her because she's very, also very smart with people's feelings. She understands things and she knows her son very well. So yeah, I like her. I think she's a great character. And with Violet, I've already said that, but I think if you love Downton Abbey, you love the Dowager. Like, it's a package. It's come with it because it's, it's made that way. Violet, who likes, no, I mean, she loves to be right. She runs the family. She definitely is. She knows everything. Or she's bound to know everything. You know, like the Pamuk situation. She didn't know it, but at the end, she did. So, yeah, she is the ruler of this. And she can always have a solution. Like, she, she is an important ally to have. She's very good. Like her lines are just the best. And her arguments with Isabel, I love it. I live for that. And you know, they're quite similar in a way because they're both widows and so they're alone and they have sons that are the heir. Well, technically, Violet, her son is the earl, but Matthew is the heir. So they're quite similar, you know, and I love them together. They're the best. It's every time she's with Robert, like she's really treating him like he's sometimes still a child. I love it. And Robert being actually sometimes still afraid of his own mother. I love it. The only thing kind of irritates me with Violet is that she always has to insult Cora, well, insults her American blood. And I don't know how Cora does it because it's a lot. But she does it with a lot of humor. I mean, for us watching it, it's funny. Then let's talk about the daughters. Sybil, I said it so many times, but gonna say it again she's the best she's the youngest but she's the sweetest and the more mature she she wants to get out of this life she wants more than just what was said she was supposed to have and so she helps Gwen and not just because she wants to earn something out of it she just do it because she thinks well 
I can help you, so I will. And thanks to her, Gwen, well, she got a job, and this is so great. And then when she discovers politics, and she just realizes she wants more to like, like she wants women to have the vote, she wants women to have more rights. She wants more than what she was born into, not just in terms of aristocracy, but in terms of rights. Because in terms of aristocracy, what she should have is just, I'm going to get married, and that's it. Like Mary said, you know, we're stuck in a waiting room until we marry. She doesn't want that. She wants to make her own life. She wants to do things. I think she even wants to have a job. She wants to try to go to a proper school. I mean, because the time are changing. And then with the war coming, time are changing. And she really is the first in line to be, I'm going to change with the, the times, with the world, with everything that changed. I'm going to be on the front line of the change. Don't know if it makes sense, but I do hope it does. And Edith, I think the issue with Edith is that, like I said, she is always Mary's shadow. I think the whole issue with Edith and her parents, like Mary was the first child they had and it was a girl. So a bit of a disappointment because if you had been a boy, then everything would be settled. It took them more than a year to have Mary, I think. Well, maybe it's just me imagining it, but in my head. So it's quite quite long. Not really before that time, apparently. It was quite long. So when they finally conceive a child, it's a girl. A bit of a disappointment. But you're like, you know, maybe we'll have a boy after. You know, you can have another one. And really quickly, Cora is pregnant again. So obviously, like, this is nice. This is a boy. But then it's a girl. And actually, I believe maybe Edith is even more disappointment than Mary. Because it was like, well, this was the first shot. It's a girl. Okay. But then, oh my God, we still have a girl. So we still do not have the heir. And, you know, between Edith and um, Sybil, I think there's like three years, which is kind of long. So for three years, they're like, okay, maybe we not have another child. So we only have two girls. And so I believe maybe Edith was more a disappointment than Mary. Because like I said, I do believe now that they love the, the girls, but still Cora blames herself for not having a boy. And Robert wastes this thing that he doesn't have a son when well, now he considers Matthew like a son but I think it's that with Edith and since she's so close to Mary but she's different she was always in her shadow and she never really had I think a childhood that was hers she was always Mary's sister I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying but and even when you look at her parents you see that they treat them differently and funny enough I think in terms of character Edith looks more like her father. Mary is her grandmother. And for me, I think Sybil looks a lot like Cora. Because I believe maybe if Cora was born, especially as an American, around the same time as Sybil, she would have been maybe the kind of a rebel side. And so Edith, like I said, she is jealous of Mary. Yeah, I think she wanted everything that Mary ever had. You know, like I said, she was in love with Patrick, but he was supposed to marry Mary. Then she kind of liked Matthew, but then... He's supposed to marry Mary and then in the end, actually, Matthew is in love with Mary. So it's a lot. And then she finally found a man. And when she found that man, she put the quarrel a bit aside. Or just before that, you know, she um, sent a letter to the Turkish ambassador. But after having Anthony's trance, she kind of stopped the war with Mary. She's the one that, that just started it again with ruining everything and make Anthony's trance go away. So yeah, I'm not really keen on Edith, season one. I'm really into the poor Edith, but I'm not really keen on her. And when Mary, Mary, she's definitely is a spoiled child. Um, I, I can't even think that she was raised as the heiress without being 
the heiress. I don't know if you know what I mean. But she is lost. I mean, you can see in this sense she's lost, especially after the whole Pamuk situation. But she doesn't want to admit it. And well, you have the whole scandal with Pamuk. And I hate how she acts with Edith and how she is with her mother, especially after the whole Pamuk situation, because her mother helped her drag a corpse, you know. But apparently um, no one acknowledges that except Violet. So thank you, Violet, for that. But Mary, in the end, she made some nasty comments to Matthew. Like, she, really, she was mean for being mean. That, that was the purpose, being mean. But in the end, she fell in love with him. <laughs> and she lost him. But I do believe that the why she lost him, because she didn't want to, not the whole, I'm going to say yes now, if it's a boy, then I withdraw. I don't want to do that because it's not really fair for her. On that, I'm on her side a bit. Because I do believe that it would not have been fair. But her war with Edith, she needs to stop it. I'm saying that now, but we still have five seasons to go through. So, But she really needs to because, like I said, yeah, she always has to go for it. And, well, I'm not going to say more about that because we know it's true. She always has to go for it. And I'm not really keen on Mary either. I love her for so many things. Like, as a character, I like her more than Edith in season one. But that moment, she's so mean, I can't. I mean, I cannot. The way she speaks to her mother, the way she, the way she is with Edith. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, now it's different because now, like I said, I've watched the whole show several times. So even characters I didn't really like in season one, I already like them because I know what's going to happen. But really just season one, Mary and Edith, I'm just like, okay, let's, I love Sybil. <laughs> this is the summary, I love Sybil. Mary is a very complicated person. Anyway, Cora, I love her. Her priority is Mary. It was since the beginning because of the whole um, air situation, and then it was because of Pamuk. Then her other priority is Sybil, because, well, Sybil is a favorite. I know we say parents do not have favorites, but we need to be honest. Sybil is Cora's favorite. She's the baby and she loves her very much, as we do. And so, well, Edith is a bit left out <laughs> in this whole situation. But Cora, she's kind and nice, but she is blind with O'Brien. And I think O'Brien and Mary and maybe even Violet, their issue with Cora is that she is kind and nice and they take that as a weakness, especially Mary. I think a part of her thinks that being kind and nice or even talking about your feelings makes you weak. And she doesn't want to appear weak. And since her mother is American, she's like, oh, you don't understand that. Like, you, you're weak and stuff. And Mary, she has a trouble just, like, admitting to herself that she's half American. I think Cora is very hurt by what her daughter said to her. And so sometimes I even think that she's a bit frightened by her daughter because she doesn't really know her. But she loves her. I mean, she carried the corpse. I'm going to say that a lot because let's just say Cora Crowley is the best. I don't care what you think. She is. She carried a corpse and she kept the secret. Well, apparently she can't keep a secret more than a month. Well, apparently she can. Okay. And she loves her husband very much. But I think Cora is a very interesting character because... Because she's American, she's, her reaction to things are different than the others. But I don't know how she did it. Like how she lived so long with her mother-in-law, always sending her 
snarky comments, insulting her. I don't know how she worked on it. She's way too nice for me. Like, like just wake up, cry. You can't be that nice all the time. I would have strangled my mother-in-law. <laughs> really? I think, yeah, I would have strangled her at the moment because it's way too much. I just want to say thank God she loves Robert, but that's why she maybe puts up with all of this because she loves Robert very much. But oh my God, this is too much. Anyway, Robert. Well, actually, Robert and Cora, they kind of like in a lot of ways. You know, he's kind and nice. He's a decent employer, maybe even more than decent. With Cora, I think they are really great employees. Like, they care about their employees. Like, they, what they did for Mrs. Padmore, I think this is very generous, very nice. He's fond of Matthew, like he thinks him as his son. And in season one, he's clever because he's not like that <laughs> in the other seasons, not all the time. He's a bit naive too. You know, he thinks he knows what's happening in his house where he doesn't. Definitely. I think if you count all the characters, maybe he's the one that knows the least. <laughs> and he's supposed to be in charge of everything. <laughs> and where well, he loves his wife. And he feels ashamed that he married her for money. But you know, all the way that ends well, he loves her now. And the two of them, I'm going to say it again, but they're the best. They're the best ship. I love them. I can't just, you know, Robert, sometimes he gets on my nerves, but not now, but in season two. <laughs> Woo! Not ready to talk about that. But together, I just what I love is what it, they're unusual. First, because they love each other, and they love each other still now. Because maybe sometimes there are couples that loved each other at the beginning and not at the end. But they, I think, they love each other even more than they were at the beginning. I don't know, but they love each other. I mean, they're so sweet. He's so sweet with her. He says to her so sweet thing, you know, like, "Have I made you happy? Are you warm enough?" They have a lot of sweet moments, the two of them. And I love them. And again, I love Cora so much. I mean, I talked about Matthew's eyes. Can I talk about Cora's eyes? Oh, so pretty. And she's so freaking beautiful. I love her. I love them. And I'm, re I'm really sad about them not having that little boy because that would have been so sweet. I mean, they were so happy when she was pregnant. And then he was so sad. And like I said, I'm going to say it again, but when he's crying in his dressing room, it is one of my favorite Robert scenes ever. I love it. And yeah, I think I think it's it. Like you have other characters. Like I love Dr. Clarkson. I think it's a really interesting character that we see um, a lot, especially with Violet and Isabel. And you have others, but this is, I think, the main ones. Yeah, and I ended up with my favorites. Well, actually, I love Cora more than I love Robert. But I said that, but I believe me liking Robert that much. I think it is just because of Hugh Bonneville, truly. Because when you see him, he looks such like a nice guy that, I don't know, it's the way he's portraying Robert. I cannot see Robert as a not nice man. I don't know how to explain it. But even when Robert's kind of stupid and clumsy, it's like, oh, but I still like you because uh, you love your wife. And I think, yeah, it has a lot to do with Hugh Bonneville. So, yeah. But obviously the others, like I already said, the cast is just amazing, but Cobbard Shippers, so I'm more for McGonneville, you know. Yeah, I think that's it for my <laughs> season one in a nutshell. Well, um, yeah, it's uh, well, it's going to be very long. I'm so sorry again. But I just want to give you my thoughts about everything. I think it was a very good season. And I can't wait to talk about season two because a lot happens um, in season two. And well, my COVID heart was already broken in season one. But in season two, well, I mean, if you know, you know. So yeah, that's it for this episode. 
me talking about episode 7 was already too long and this is too long I mean I'm so 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 sorry but again talk way too much I have no one to tell me to just shut up so yeah sorry um like I said I will broadcast a special episode during the week probably on Wednesday but I'm not really sure about that but yeah probably on Wednesday so I can't wait to see you for that special episode and then next Sunday we'll start season two together so yeah I'm very very excited I hope you are too and I want to thank all the people that listened to that Uh, I haven't said that before but I just really want to say thank you to everyone who listened to that because well I see you know uh, how many people listen to it and I'm really grateful that you do because um, I love doing that so thank you very much and so I will see you during the week for a special episode and then next Sunday for season two until then take care of yourself and don't forget vive la différence